John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 1343.MT2514, certificate number 25007, Trucker Culture. We've talked about this before, but you were born in 74. Do you remember the 1970s? Hardly at all. I mean, I have plenty of memories from the 70s, but they're not 70s-y. Right. Unless I look back at my photos and I see that I'm wearing tough skins and uh, garanimals. And you've said, uh, you've also expressed some concern that the omnibus is maybe overloaded with uh, cultural references from the 70s and 80s because those are our time. If we just want to make a time capsule and put in like a 1975 JCPenney catalog... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, could, we could just do that. We don't have to go to all this trouble. Well, I do feel like our impulse is often to do 18th and 19th century European entries, and we have to kind of fight that. And our default is then to go to some weird pop culture thing in the 80s. Every time we mention the Kaiser, we also have to mention right. uh, Koosh balls or right. something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Kaiser Koosh ball rule. Yeah, I feel like I could do entries every week on some Austro-Hungarian minor duke. What if you just kept doing Dukes and I would just be like, and then they had Wally Walkers. It looked like an octopus, but if you threw it in a window, it went down the window. Crazy. Uh, But 70s culture, you know, I was born, I'm six years older than you are. So I was born uh, during the the waning days of the Johnson administration. Of the two of us, I'm the only one that was born before the moon landing. So that makes me... I, th- I think that that should be a prerequisite for... You've lived in a pre-moon era? I have. I think it's more to my credit that I refuse to live in a world where man had not walked on the moon. I have a higher standard than you, apparently. The thing is, I was there. You know what I mean? Like, you can on only... On the moon? You can only read about it. No, I well, like all citizens of the Earth in 1969, I was there on the moon with our intrepid uh, moonwalkers. Weren't you like seven months old or something? Yeah, but but there, there with them, I'm sure I was in front of the TV as it all happened. Uh, the problem is I remember almost no 70s culture. Like when I'm old enough to actually remember cultural import, it's all Reagan era. So the number of things that happened in the 70s that I remember, I can count on, like national events, I can count on one hand. I remember the Carter running for re-election, mm-hmm. and I remember the Sonics winning the title in 79. Right. And I remember that big uh, solar eclipse across the Western US that was in uh, summer of 79 or I can't remember. Yeah, right. I was in Alaska at that point. So I didn't have, I didn't see the eclipse, but I remember my mom mom and sister took pictures of it. So except for that, you know, and the only TV I'm watching is the Muppet show. Right. And maybe game shows. So I'm not super connected to uh, America in the mohair 70s wall-to-wall 70s well that that six-year difference between the two of us is uh it doesn't really change our appreciation of late 90s early 2000s indie rock because we were both there i was maybe a little bit i would have been aged out of it if i hadn't been an active participant in it you were making it yeah you got a you got grandfathered i was 30 years old i should have already gotten a job at amazon but i was still playing my guitar but it makes a huge difference in how we appreciated 70s culture because i was I turned 12 in 1980. So the seventies were really 
the foundational years. That's what makes you. It really people is. are people in the future are going to want to know what explains John Roderick. And I will say, look to the Ford administration. That's right. <laughs> youngsters. Well, it really was true. And one of the songs that most influenced me, there were a few songs that stood out throughout my childhood. And this was an era where there were, where the way you receive popular music was on the radio, often AM radio. And you would hear the song of the summer playing out of the cab of everybody's Chevy stepside pickup or, or uh, recently purchased Camaro. And the music of Elton John uh, is like so baked into my DNA that I can't, I mean, I can still listen to Philadelphia freedom and just go immediately back to being a little kid, like, but there were a few songs that, that just came out of nowhere and walloped me. One of them was Devil Woman by Cliff Richard, a very late period hit for Cliff Richard. I thought no American ever heard a Cliff Richard song. I thought British people just had to explain Cliff Richard to us. Well, there was this crazy mid-70s hit where he did a very spooky tune called Devil Woman that that just connected with me as a kid. But and it was really maybe out of character for his just uh, for his Devil movement. Woman. With he must have actually He must have actually conjured some kind of a devil woman. It was crazy. I think he met her at the crossroads. He went down to the crossroads to try to catch a ride. Do you think Satan was controlling Cliff Richard in the 70s? I'm not 100% sure Satan wasn't controlling Cliff Richard the entire time. It's <laughs> the long con. I mean, if you think about the taboo rhythms in rock and roll, Satan's been controlling us all since he introduced the blues to um, Robert Johnson. It's funny that he was just waiting so long. Satan just lets classical and opera develop. Yeah, well, he doesn't really care know, that much. Gilbert and Sullivan, is there much Satan in Gilbert and Sullivan? I would say there's almost no Satan. No Satan. In Gilbert and Sullivan. I think you could put a little bit of of Satan in Mozart, for sure. There's plenty of Satan in there. I mean, it, maybe it's not immediately apparent, but that's how Satan works. The magic flute is full of, uh, I think, Freemasonry. So that's how Satan works, for okay. sure. Well, right. He's on that's, the... <laughs> at that time, he was he had not yet switched to the blues because he was, he was able to control Western civilization through Freemasonry and the Illuminati. Right, through his one eye on the top of a pyramid. He had a good thing going. Well, he's, I mean, George Washington, right, is wearing his Masonic apron and changing the face of history. Yeah, he's still, Satan's still on the dollar bill, so... Well, I think in addition to the Satan conjured by Devil Woman... The number one song of my childhood and one that that connected with me profoundly was a song called Convoy by C.W. McCall. It has a tremendous, it creates sonically, before the lyrics even start, it creates this environment in the room that is a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. It's very American. It has a kind of like like a high-pitched drone that comes in. And then that, that, that strikes you as the American sound. It, it, well, it's the American. It's, 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 Ameri- it's the sound of the American highway. I've definitely been in restaurants overseas, and you can tell when a loud American comes in and orders. You can hear that high pitched drone all the way across the restaurant. Uh, but or a literal high pitched drone, you know, bombing a wedding or something. Right, sure. <laughs> that's the other. That's a high the other altitude drone. <laughs> it starts high and starts to get low. <laughs> Uh, but the 70s were a kind of remarkable, a, a remarkable time. The 60s were over. One of the residues of the 60s was uh, the kind of back to the, back to the landism. The 60s so had also- we talked about that kind of denim, right. denim American revival before. But it was also a period simultaneous to the psychedelic rock of the 19, or of the, uh, of San Francisco was a real- like explosive country Western culture 
that there was, was semi-mainstreamed. You it know, was very mainstream. You, if you were not a country fan, you would still just love Kenny Rogers and Barbara Mandrell. Uh, sure, you'd watch the Mandrell sisters every night on their variety show. You knew Dolly Parton's every song. That was not kind of a walled off part of American culture. And it certainly was not regional. No, it was popular music and it was like rock and roll. It evolved from the same font, the same combination of the blues and hillbilly music, but it took it in a different direction, a more, it was the music of rural America rather than urban America. And in fact, we've talked about it, I think before, but the charts, right? The top 40 Mm -hmm. were largely self-reporting there. We didn't have a way to actually monitor the sales of records. It was the RIA. I would have had way more number one hits if I'd been a singer in the self-reported era. The self-reported era. Yeah, I just got to say, my song is, uh, it's really huge. Oh, it wasn't like going to school in an alternative high school where you just <laughs> What's your name grade? your own grade. <laughs> but it was. A, Ken, how many records do you think you sold? Oh, 10 million. <laughs> uh, a plus, plus. No, the, the, the reporting was done by record stores and every week the record stores would report or, and the radio stations would report the most popular music. Mm-hmm. Well, record stores and radio stations tended to be owned and operated by rock and roll people. And so they would over report the significance of Elton John or Queen or Led Zeppelin and really under report the sales of country, Western music and soul music. So it wasn't until that became a standardized reporting system. It it happened in the 90s where record stores and radio stations started reporting actual sales. And then you could suddenly see like not a single rock record. Right. And that that was the the explosive realization that rap music and country music were the two biggest genres of music in the country. And rock music immediately lost a lot of its cachet as a business within the record industry. But what about all those people I knew in high school that said they liked everything except rap and country? They like everything except rap and country, right. Well, what they were there talking about was- There must have been bizarro world versions of theirs that liked nothing except <laughs> rap and country. And it's crazy to think that throughout the 80s, the big records in the 80s were uh, Peter Gabriel records or whatever, Def Leppard records. But in fact, that whole time, country records and, it, it and was rap a, records were- Phil Collins was sitting on a throne <laughs> of lies. It's funny that, uh, you know, rap and country were the most popular strains of music and it, it we needed a kid rock to come to us and unite those two traditions. I believe that futurelings will agree with me that we did not need kid rock <laughs> and we do not need him now. <laughs> But when I first heard Convoy, so it, it, that song uh, arrived in- What ni- year is that? 1976, I think, 1975 or six. So I was eight years old and the song tells a story. And it tells a story of truckers communicating to one another via CB radio. And it's clear from the lyrics that they are- sort of forming a convoy. It's this nascent convoy. Well, it's clear from the title that they're forming a convoy. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> it could be a convoy that was already formed. Or a convoy in their hearts. But the the lyrics begin, and I, I've had these lyrics memorized my, well, since I was eight years old. But This is the way I know that it was the night before Christmas. You know yeah. every verse of convoy. So it was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth hauling logs. So we know right away that we're, we're in a Kenworth. He's hauling logs. I've got a perfect mental picture. It's like I'm there in the There's, cab. It's a cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. I don't know what cab <laughs> over Pete or a G reefer is. I assume a Jimmy hauling hogs is a, is a truck full of pigs. That's right. So a Jimmy would be a GMC big rig, not a GMC little truck, right. but they also made uh, semi trucks. And, and what's a, a, P- a Peterbilt? A cab over Pete is a Peterbilt, but it's one of those trucks that doesn't that looks like a square block. It doesn't have a nose, right? Yes. It's called a cab over. The cab is directly the over direct, the motor. Okay. And, um, and a reefer and on a, means he's smoking a joint. No, a reefer is a trailer that is refrigerated. A refrigerated. So yeah, it's a, it's a refrigerated truck. This is a whole little secret language you have to speak just to understand the first sentence of this song. It is. And there are three, so we're talking about three trucks, right? Uh, uh, you've got the cab over Pete. You've got the... The Jimmy Holland Hogs. And the log truck. Right. And a Kenworth driving logs there, right? They were headed for Bear on I-10, just a mile out of Shaky Town. Okay. I-10 is I-10. That's right. And Shaky Town is Los Angeles because it's a- Because you can go to Shaky's Pizza there? No, because of earthquakes. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Um, It feels feels like a lot of their slang is unnecessary. 
Like when a waitress is like, Adam and Eve on a raft or whatever. Like, isn't that more <laughs> syllables than poached eggs or whatever it well, means? I'll explain in a minute. Uh, but then the the end of the first verse is... And heading for bear means they're going fast. Yeah, that's right. Because the bear is Smokey Bear, which is the cops. And they're called Smokey Bear because oh. they wear Smokey Bear hats. Oh, I thought this was like they're loaded for bear or whatever. You think you think bear actually refers to police? Bear here. bear is police. So they're heading towards police. Well, yeah, they're... they're uh, there are cops up ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, mile out of Shaky Town. I said Pigpen, who we can assume is the Jimmy Holland Hogs. I thought it was the Peanuts character, Pigpen. No, it's Pigpen is driving the hog truck. Pigpen, this here's the rubber duck. I'm about to put the hammer down. So we uh, we learned that the narrator of this song is Rubber Duck. That's his handle, uh, his nom de plume, nom de nom truck. De CB. Right. Uh, and he's about to put the hammer down, which is to say that he's about to accelerate his truck on I-10 out of Shaky Town. It's not clear that it's a first-person song until right then when Rubber Duck begins to speak. Right, because it was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June. That, yeah. that you know, that sounds like uh, it was a dark and stormy night. We seem to be seeing three trucks from omniscient point of view, but we now know that we are Rubber Duck. Right. Uh, presumably in the Kenworth, I guess. Rubber Duck is telling us this story. Yeah. So as a child, boy, I was captivated certainly by all of the, what seemed to be crazy words that were all thrown together very confidently by this narrator. He wasn't just speaking gibberish and this wasn't for kids. This was a secret language in a secret world. You're just thrown into another world. Right. And the song jams, you know, it's got a kind of Nashville or Bakersfield trucking along sort of Telecaster sound. Convoy slaps. Is that your, is that your judgment? Slaps. Is this a term of art that you and your, that's what the kids are saying. Your young people (laughs) slaps. The the young people today. The tune slaps. Do you think it's a bop? I don't think think it's it's a jam. I don't think it slaps. It's a definitely a jam, but slaps must be referring to some kind of contemporary music that only music made after 2015 can slap. Yeah. It makes a sound that, I mean, no music before that would I would, would slap be a compliment. What if a young person today listens to Convoy and says that this song slaps, wouldn't you be flattered? No, that young person doesn't know what they're talking about. And the thing is, futurelings are going to say something completely else. Like, oh, this, you know, this is a splunk. Yeah. This ectoplasms. But uh, we were primed to hear that song and respond to it in part because the early 70s were a time when interstate trucking had become... Inexplicably. A, well, <laughs> explicably had become a kind of na- national phenomenon, and there are a couple of reasons for this. So, and let me uh, understand this. Convoy follows the fact that there's already a bit of a craze around CB and truckers in general? So what happened, there were a few moments... Uh, well, after World War II, you had a, a confluence of factors. One of them was we started work on the interstate highway system. Another was that trucking became an even more important way of goods and services moving around the country. Yeah, I assume the railroad was prevalent up until the mid-20th century. But right? the railroad can only reach where the railroad goes. Exactly. But it was the dawn of consumerism uh, in large part, right? Goods were moving around the country. There were new, newfangled toasters and, and ovens and vacuum cleaners that were driving the economy. Everybody was moving to the suburbs and needed to outfit their new mid-century homes with all the, the latest mod cons. dishwasher. And also fresh fruit and vegetables, foodstuffs. Logs were, and hogs. Logs, hogs. They were all moving by truck. And uh, it was the era where the Teamsters Union was its most powerful. It was the largest union in the country. Uh, and, the, and this was the era. You think it's a the, Teamsters, con- some, Teamster. kind of, some kind of mob conspiracy to make trucking look cool? No, it was, I think, a factor of this also being the era where the corporate man came into existence, the man in the gray flannel suit. And we were, we were seeing an era of kind of social hegemony it was a conformist time. So we, we envy yes. the free man. The trucker started to assume some of the mantle of the cowboy. It was the last, they were the last independent people out on the road. That's sad to me. 
Well, because <laughs> there actually is adventure and drama in the life of a cowboy, I would assume. And trucker, at, trucker's just a guy peeing in a bottle. Well, at the time, there was a lot of adventure in the life of a trucker. They were, uh, again, the interstate highways were just coming into being, and there were still very regional aspects to America. If you were in Oklahoma, it was very, very different from being in Oregon. The restaurants, the culture, and it was it there hadn't this homogenization hadn't happened in American culture. So, so it, it's glamorous it, that these guys can travel all the highways and byways of this great land. They're the only ones who see it all. That's right. They've seen it all, and they are also out there, you know, meeting with each other in the rough and tumble world. And they, you know, they have a girl in every town. And this is before containerized shipping. So there's quite a bit of access to. There's a lot of graft. There's, you know, if you have a truck full of blenders and a couple go missing, no one notices. It was also an era where gasoline was cheap. And so the the romance of the road, the trucker became um, maybe one of the last seafaring men. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Um, Do you know what uh, I thought was romantic about truckers when I was a kid? Hmm. The, not that any truckers had romantic interest in me when I was a kid. Right. No, you were in Korea. It was the other way around. <laughs> but that they drove at night. Right. Right? They have all their adventures by the dark of the moon on the 6th of June. That's you know, right. they don't work a nine to five like us. They're, they're the only ones out there while the rest of us sleep having all these adventures. And today I know it's actually not all that adventurous. They're just trying to get to Tulsa on time. But. Well, trucking has changed and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. The first trucker movie is actually called They Drive by Night. It was from 1940. It was a Humphrey Bogart movie. I've seen They Drive by Night. And it, you know, it paints a, a pretty glamorous picture. I guess it didn't occur dramatic. to me that that's, that's so much of the audience grabber. You put it in the title. Yeah. Now check it out. You've seen people that drive, right? Well, these guys drive, they by, drive by, night. by night, if you can believe it. Boom. Uh, Exciting. Uh, it's been suggested that trucking is the topic of more country and Western songs than any other working class occupation. So all the country songs about being a working man, a damn builder and a steel driving man and all these things. Um, I love country songs about damn builders. That's, well, yeah. That's, well, that's my favorite. What was the, what was the, that was the highwayman song, right? I'm a damn builder. I was a damn builder across on a river deep, deep and, and wide. wide. Oh boy, I should cover that song. Where steel and water did collide. Uh, but trucking, there are more trucking songs than all of the rest combined. So trucking became inextricably connected to that, the, the same world that country music appeals to, which is a kind of uh, the rural America. Middle that, American working men and women. That's right. Um, can I tell you, by the way, the first time I heard Convoy? Yeah. This is going to blow your mind. It was 2015. That is very clear. Yeah, it, really? was this, it was this morning when you told me you wanted to do this show. No, I, in the 90s, I was at college and my roommate and I were driving home from a something, but we both had our cars and he just said, oh, I'll follow you. And he started to, we were going to somebody else's house. I'll follow you. And he started to sing, yeah. the, the, we got a little Convoy <laughs> rocking through the, the chorus. We got a little Convoy. Um, and I was like, okay, great. That's, you made a little theme song for our drive to the party. And he said, no, no, that's Convoy. And I said, I don't know what that is. You've never heard Convoy? He was appalled that I had never heard this mid-70s country song. But I had somehow gone the first 
uh, 25, 20, 25 years of my life. Well, you continue to appall because earlier today you said, oh, apparently there's a movie called Convoy. And I said, are you kidding me? And you were like, no, seriously, there is. And I was like, no. I said, are you kidding me? Like you've, never heard, you've never heard of Convoy? How many times have you seen the movie Convoy? Well, uh, the problem with the movie Convoy is it's a song or it's a movie based on a song. <laughs> so, um, but Convoy does have a lot of plot. It does. It's not the best movie, uh, but, but the plot of Convoy hinges on another sort of foundational moment in trucker culture. Now to go back a little bit during this same rise of the interstate highway and the romance of the trucker, there was happening simultaneously and in an unconnected way, the rise of citizens band radio. And we've talked about that on omnibus before when we were talking about ham call signs, ham, right? ham call signs. Right. Uh, but this was an era where what had formerly been the airwaves were restricted to broadcasters. There were, um, now some airwaves, some bands were now reserved for public use. So you could have your own little ham radio. You could use some of these bandwidths to, for people to communicate with one. And this was like a legislative change that happened in the 70s or yeah, something? Yeah, well, not in the 70s, but gradually throughout the 50s and 60s, um, the restrictions on being able to broadcast, some bands were reserved for public use. And they were actually bands that had formerly been assigned to some authority and they were taken away and they were allocated to the population at right. large. There were whatever, still whatever hobbyists or, or professionals thought they needed their own radio. Right. If you were a radio dispatched cab, or if you were somebody that was working for an auto parts store and you needed to keep in touch with the, you know, it was still for commercial use and you had to have a license in order to be a broadcaster, like a ham radio license. And radios were getting cheaper and smaller too, right. which I'm sure helped. So these radios and the, the ability to have a radio in your truck uh, that that happened sort of gradually and and unconnected to the rise of trucker culture. Mm -hmm. But in the early 1970s, we experienced an energy crisis. The price of gasoline went through the roof, and it really affected long distance truckers. Who, you know, gas prices were absorbed. You know, that was the cost of doing business. And when gas had been cheap. Truckers were driving the country, you know, making a, a comfortable middle-class living. But this energy crisis hit trucking really hard. And an interesting factor in truck driving was, although the majority, 70% of truckers were Teamsters, and so were unionized and mm -hmm. had, and the union was able to establish standard rates for things. And the union was able to pay benefits to truck drivers. 30% of the truckers were independent. And it was because of a loophole in the Interstate Commerce Act that exempted truck drivers that were delivering foodstuffs. In, food, your, in your reefer? That's right. Food truck drivers didn't have to, they were unregulated. And so food producers could contract with owner operators to move their produce around. And they were, were, were worried about the Teamsters putting them in concrete somewhere? Well, the Teamsters had a really difficult time unionizing food trucks because it had become a local economy. And if you were living in the strawberry fields and you had your own truck or two trucks, you and your son had trucks, it was tough for the Teamsters to get in there and unionize each one of these, these little, little family businesses. Yeah. And the effect of this non-unionized food trucking industry was one of the elements that brought the price of food down in the United States. So food, which had formerly been, and fresh food, which had formerly been, you know, a, a major expense became cheaper and cheaper. And then food was disseminated more widely and low food costs were a component of the boom times in the United States, just like low gas costs. Sure. Previous to this, you would probably just buy the two or three kinds of fruit that were in season. Right. You would not, it's not like going to the store today where you can, suddenly you have blueberries from wherever. And, sure, uh, strawberries in the middle of the winter and whatnot. Coming from Chile. But those drivers were even more adversely affected by the gas crisis because, you know, they weren't receiving standard rates. They were in a market economy and they absorbed the gas prices. 
But even worse, as the energy crisis deepened, gas just wasn't available. That was the time of long, long gas lines. You, this was before you were born. But I remember waiting in line at a gas station for a long time. I think you, you shouldn't have been driving, in my opinion. I Even was, in Alaska, that's you're, you know, a three or four-year-old should not be driving. I was sitting in the backseat playing with one of the dolls made out of straw that they used to give us as children, like a, a little tank. You that, were playing with one of those little tanks of water where you <laughs> press the button and the hoop jumps around. The hoop, the hoop around. squirts around. Yeah. Actually, when you were a kid back then, they, they just gave you a guitar and they said, you feeling sad? Play the blues. Was it Satan? Did Satan come to you and give you a guitar? I wondered who gave me that guitar. It was Satan. This slaps. Well, so here we are in 19, and this first energy crisis happened in 1973. Trucking was a major industry in the United States. There was a component of trucking that were owner operators and CB radios had propagated throughout the trucking industry and during this period, CBs started to be used a lot as a way for truckers to say to one another, like, hey, there's gasoline available over here. Hey, there's, you know, you need to watch out for this road closure and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It became not just a way for truckers to stay in touch with home base, but for them to communicate with one another. And Channel 9 was always reserved for emergency services. But there were a couple of different channels. One, uh, there was one channel that was sort of open communication for trucks east of the Mississippi. And then west of the Mississippi, it was channel 19. And gradually channel 19 became the trucker channel nationwide. If you were out on the road, you put yourself on channel 19. What was the range though? I mean. Well, so there were limitations on how big of a broadcaster you could have. Initially it was five watts. Which is going to be very local. Low, it's very local and there were limitations on how big your antenna could be, but this was very difficult to regulate. And as trucking expanded and more and more people got into it, they would on the sly or, you know, pirate radio style, they would increase their, increase their amplification and increase the size of their antenna and gradually trucks were able to communicate over pretty long distances. It must be a lonely life too. It must have been nice to just be able to chat in your cab and not just have to wait till the truck stop. Yeah, it was a very, very early form of social networking within a group of like-minded individuals. But another thing happened right after the energy crisis of 73, which was that the federal government imposed a 55 mile an hour speed limit. Oh man, pissing off Sammy Hagar. Pissing off Sammy Hagar and everybody else. And what this did was put a further imposition on truckers because they are not paid for the time they spend on the road. You know, sure. they're paid by delivery. They want to get there as fast as possible. And paid by distance. So if you're driving 2,500 miles and you can do it in the space of 16 hours, you are a lot better off than if you, if it takes you 30 hours because of restrictions, because you're waiting in line for gas and then you can only go 55. I mean, so, it's, it's the reason they drive all night, right? It's right. whether it's safe or good for them or not. And, you know, yeah, you have the open road. You can go as fast as you want. So mm -hmm. then there also developed an antagonistic relationship between cops and truckers because truckers, there was a real incentive for them to speed. And there was a real incentive for them to use their CB radios to alert one another to the presence of troopers or county cops or county mounties, as they're called. The drop to 55 must have been crazy in the West. Because I, I think a lot of states, you could just drive, what, 70 or 75 or well, more? I the, mean, Montana had I think no Montana, speed Yeah, limits. Montana had no speed limits. So uh, you're effectively dropping truck speed limits 20 or 30 miles per hour in some places. Well, and a lot of, I mean, if you're in one of those big rigs, uh, you can go 80 miles an hour and your truck feels pretty steady. It's a, like a, it's a real skateboard. And at 55 miles an hour, you're not even out of third gear. So all of a sudden there was... Uh, trucker culture became, and it already had a cowboy Wild West association, but now they were outlaws. Yeah. And America loves an outlaw. I like how their 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 crime is speeding on the interstate. Speeding on the interstate. <laughs> our, our new outlaw. Our new outlaws of the seventies. And also, you know, not just speeding, but conspiring with one sure. another to thwart the law. Using disrespectful nicknames for law enforcement. And this was how a lot of this sort of secret language of CB trucker culture came about because initially 
they could talk that way on the radio and cops listening in yeah. wouldn't be able to decipher it's their like code. It's like a criminal argot. It's the same way, you know, Parisian pickpockets in the 19th century were speaking some weird language. And I think probably why diner waitresses also throw that stuff around. Really? If, you're not sh- if you're not sure what shit on a shingle is, I guess everybody knew what that was. <laughs> but if you're not, if you don't know what two chickens on a, on a hot tin roof with a blueberry milkshake is, if you hadn't ordered a blueberry milkshake. The stakes seem much lower there. Yeah, perhaps. That, that might just be trying to entertain yourself at a very boring job. Perhaps, who knows? <laughs> uh, so the early mid-70s, combined with this denimification of, uh, of youth culture, uh, I mean, Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was a huge film. There was a, a resurgence in the idea of cowboys and outlaws as as American archetypes. And here we had interstate truckers and the interstates had only been that, that system was still under construction. The interstate highway system. That's literally a new frontier. Yeah. A new frontier or sorry, frontier. People get mad when I say frontier, the Shatner way. Did you say frontier? I didn't quite hear it. I say (laughs) front because Shatner always says space, the final frontier frontier. It must be his weird Montreal accent. I get upset with that now. Now, I didn't even notice it before. Frontier's not incorrect. I think if you look in the dictionary, frontier might be ahead of frontier. Yeah, frontier sounds like somebody would- It's in the front. They put it in the front. It would be something that someone in Dodge City said, (laughs) and we we don't talk like that anymore. But now there was, and also outlaw country music was- Ascendant. So it all combined. You already mentioned the Highwaymen. The that's, highway a, that's a country supergroup literally named after Outlaws. Like we're supposed to believe that Chris Christopherson and Johnny Cash are holding up trains. Well, and all those guys, right? Waylon Jennings. I mean, they were the progenitors of Outlaw Country, even in even in the '60s and early '70s. Mm-hmm. So then the song "Convoy" arrives, which was written in this argot by a songwriter ostensibly called C.W. McCall. And he appears on the cover of his record and he looks like a real truck driving man. He's got a cowboy hat on. He's got a denim shirt on. He seems like a, a true American truck driving cowboy. And this, but he's very much of the era too. Like he looks kind of like John Denver. He looks like John Denver. It's like cousin Oliver finally got his truck. But what it turned out was that there was no C.W. McCall. <gasps> In fact, uh, C.W. McCall was a fiction. It was a hologram. He was a he was a fiction uh, a gnome de, de country a gnome de country music of a man named William Dale Freeze, who was an advertising executive. So it's minstrelsy. He's pretending to be one of these uh, Western outlaw types, right? And he later went on to be one of the founders of Mannheim Steamroller, <laughs> who made my family's favorite Christmas album. <laughs> yep, that's Mannheim Steamroller. It's like uh, eight Casios finally found religion and became <laughs> self-aware. Some of that record, if you get past the early synth stuff on it, some of those uh, those Christmas carols are maybe the best renditions of them. So their, their version, it's kind of a choral silent night. There's beautiful music on that album. Don't Mannheim explain to me. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about their Christmas album. No, listen to it all the way through. Put it on. Call on Spotify. I'm going to say this to all the people listening to Omnibus in the future. I'm going to say this right out. Hey, Siri, play Mannheim Steamroller Christmas album. Mannheim Steamroller slaps. I'm a, I'm a Trans-Siberian <laughs> orchestra guy. You can't convert me. Alexa, play Mannheim Steamroller <laughs> you have to Christmas pre- album. You have to predict all the names of digital assistants <laughs> in the future. Splingdorf. <laughs> Corinthiana, play Mannheim <laughs> Steamroller Christmas album. But C.W. McCall became a big, big star. Convoy was uh, went to number one on both the pop charts and the country chart. I see his Wikipedia entry goes to great lengths to tell me he is not a one-hit wonder, which you really only see on one-hit wonders. <laughs> <laughs> he had a second single. His, he had a, did you know he had a pirate-themed follow, a nautical follow-up called Round the World with the Rubber Duck? No. I guess he one-upped his trucking single to have a maritime theme. Did he Optimus Prime his truck and then turn it into a boat? <laughs> yeah, how's he getting across <laughs> the ocean? But apparently Rubber Duck winds up in England, Germany, Russia, and Japan, so... Well, so Convoy did inspire the movie Convoy starring Chris Christopherson, but that was not the- What's your favorite movie inspired by a song? Hmm. I like the Sandra Bullock Love Potion number nine. (laughs) Uh, There's something about, what was the one that was, they couldn't use Mary. There's something about Gary. What was that, that (laughs) that movie in the 90s? 
Uh, no, not something about Mary. It was, uh, oh, Along Comes Polly uh, was. Because the association wouldn't let them use Along Comes Mary? Yeah, they couldn't use Along Comes Mary. I don't know why. But what I, I hated that title. I never saw the movie, Along Comes Polly. What a dumb thing. Like, we're in an age now where there's, you know, they're optioning Battleship and um, they're option, optioning board games like Battleship. <laughs> you sank my Battleship! <laughs> but don't, 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 don't. No, but they're ringing them, ring them into massive movies. But we don't have oh, a lot right. of song-inspired movies anymore. Harper Valley PTA and Yellow Submarine, and that was about it, I guess. Right, Harper Valley PTA came out of that song, right? Not the other way around. It's always songs that are stories, you yeah, know? Yeah, narrative, right? Like Alice's Restaurant, and yeah, Love Potion Number 9 is about a, you know, a guy who goes down to Madame Rue. Hey, this writes itself. Who, who can we get to be the gypsy? Maybe Lainey Kazan. <laughs> it made sense to have Chris Christopherson be the trucker. He's born to play that role. He's perfect. Uh, but... Although there had been some trucker movies or truck movies before Convoy, like, for instance, Steven Spielberg's first movie, Duel, Duel. where the truck is driven that's by... that's an, an anti-trucking movie. Yeah. We're supposed to be cheering for Dennis Weaver, the car driver. Well, it's an anonymous, like, bad truck driver. Uh, but it's almost like he's not even a trucker. Like, you're scared of the truck, you know? Like, the trucker and truck are just one organism. Right. You can't separate them. But it is, you know, it is... The truck is an outlaw in that situation. It's true. Uh, it and doesn't there, care about your rules. The trucker. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even explain that in 1973, as a result of this energy crisis and these restrictions, truckers went on strike and there was a nationwide strike of truckers refusing to deliver their goods and services that basically paralyzed whole sections of the American industry. I'm going to say mostly goods. Um, well, no. Sur services from truckers are mostly I, limited to what they do in, I suppose you're in, right. in truck stop restrooms, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay without that. I suppose you're right. Uh, although, yeah, right. A lot of people in service industries that relied on goods and service goods were now no longer able to provide their services. It's a slippery slope. You start to mess up the goods, and pretty soon, services go too. So, for instance, the whole like slaughterhouse industry came to a standstill because nobody was moving trucks or uh, uh, day, cows and pigs. It's the day no pigs could die. Um, the auto industry like temporarily laid off thousands of people because parts couldn't be transported to make new cars. I love the idea of truckers flexing their power. And no food moved around the country. So suddenly grocery stores were similarly restricted. And what truckers wanted was to bring the country to its knees. Well, and to bring the price of gas down. They wanted an artificial reduction in... They didn't want gas to be a commodity on the open market. They wanted to restrict its price. And what the Teamsters were able to do was add a 6% gas surcharge to the price of delivery. Independent truckers weren't quite able to, to do that. Well, that's how it should have worked, right? right. The truckers shouldn't have been eating that. Right, and... That crisis was resolved for the most part, but there were a lot of independent truckers and a lot of truckers in trucker culture from that point forward became rebellious because they understood that they were no longer just romantic. They now needed to fight for themselves. There was a television show uh, during this period immediately after that trucker strike called Moving On, which was about uh, some truck drivers uh, Claude living their lives. And then in 1975, a movie called White Line Fever, which was a great connection between a Vietnam vet coming back, taking over his father's trucking company, and then he discovers that bad men have infiltrated the trucking industry and are using, are extorting truck drivers to carry contraband. And he's a one-man Vietnam vet who stands up to these bad guys and with his, you know, trucker... Uh, he's not in a convoy. He's against the convoy. He's against them all. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash 
slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. But then Convoy comes out, and it, along with the song Convoy, the idea of the trucker explodes nationwide. And we see in the next five years so many trucker movies that it is, it's very hard to see anything comparable really before or since where an idea like this takes over American popular culture. It does show people just chasing profit, you know? Like, if Smokey and the Vanda was a hit, let's make 10 more Smokey let's, and the Vanda. That's you right. Know? Let's have... Uh, I remember when I was, even when I was a kid in the early 80s, Tyco was still making these little slot trucks, like HO scale. Like instead of rail model trains, people were playing with little model trucks. Yeah, driving your truck around and speeding. What could be more fun than that? <laughs> Eliminating uh, Smokey. <laughs> but so here, here's a short list of some of the trucker movies. You yeah. talked about Smokey and the Bandit, which was... Okay, only because that's the only one I know. But Smokey and the Bandit made trucking even more glamorous, and they were running contraband in that movie. Uh, that all And Jerry Reed... Uh, What's had the a, gimmick? They're trying to run Coors or... Yeah, so Coors Beer was, I think, in the Rocky Mountain states, Coors was a very, very popular, fashionable, like, cool new beer. But you couldn't get but it. you couldn't get it across the Mississippi because of, of restrictions. Big on, beer. Well, and yeah, and you needed, uh, you needed that the beer, it was taxed in some way. And, and, uh, so big Enos and little Enos wanted Coors, Coors at their party in Atlanta. And they sent the bandit in his firebird Trans Am and Jerry Reed, who was called, uh, what was he called? Uh, Little man, no something. Uh, what was he? He was little man tape. Chicken man, no. Come on, snowman. There it is. Correct. The bandit and Cletus snowman. We have a big chance to make a run for some big bucks. Eighty thousand of them. What are we gonna do? Kidnap the pope or something? How'd you guess? No, we're just gonna run over to Texarkana and pick up four hundred cases of Coors and bring it back in twenty-eight hours. Whoa. That's called bootlegging, and that's against the law. Well, who gives a turkey when the snowman and the bandit are running the booze? No one can stop it. Hold it. They're charged with this task. Go get a truckload of curs and bring it back to the party. And if you can do it, then little Enos is going to pay you. The most, it's a, it's a, the most precious currency. It's yeah. like, what if, <laughs> what if instead of Bitcoin, Coors? And that was not only a trucker movie, but a real CB movie. A lot of the dialogue in the film happens over CB radio. Breaker, breaker. That's right. What's your 20? And they use the CB to great effect. And the, you know, in fact, really, I'd say 90% of the, the spoken words <laughs> go through a CB. Well, civilians started buying CB radios, right? I don't want to take a detour from your movie list, but uh, my, when I was a kid, my grandpa had a CB radio in the front of whatever Ford wagon he drove. CBs went crazy. And he, and he loved having this. So people just flouted the law. You still were required to have a license. It didn't cost very much money, but people just ignored it. You could buy CBs anywhere. Was Radio Shack like a massive criminal empire? Radio, Radio Shack bloomed. Uh, my, I have a truck parked out front. My 79 Suburban has a CB in it. Oh, it's, um, is, is it built into the dash? No, but oh, it was, okay. you know, I think customized the day it came from the factory floor. My dad had a 74 Chrysler Imperial that had a CB in it for some reason, and we would talk to truckers. That actually later on contributed to the demise of CB radio because there were so many people on. The truckers just, didn't want to use it. Yeah, just jibber jabber that truck drivers switched over to you know, to a different system or they changed channels. They, they tried to get away from all the, we see that know. happen in social media today. That's Once right. all the old people are on Facebook, all the, right. where do you go? You all, go all to, the cool young people are like, yeah, we're out of here. You go to grinder. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, but then, so, and Jerry Reed had a radio hit with, uh, Eastbound and Down, which was his sort of trucker tune. Yeah. Another sort of fun, lighthearted trucker movie, but uh, there were two types of trucker movies. And one of the reasons that Convoy the movie was a difficult watch for me is that Convoy the song is fun. Convoy the movie 
is much more about trucker strikes and a, and confrontation with the cops. It's a Sam Peckinpah movie. Yeah, people I, I die. Assume, I assume it's a bloody, violent uh, massacre. People die, and it isn't fun. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit brought the fun back to trucking, and and that Smokey and the Bandit was what gave us Dukes of Hazard. That idea that and Dukes of Hazard was basically a CB television show. They were constantly on the CBs there. Uh, but then law enforcement was able to get chips on the air to remind us that some law enforcement were yeah, good, good we solid, had, multiracial buddies, and, well, and, and, you, and you, had, you shouldn't be against Boss Hog. You had Starsky and Hutch during this time, too. <laughs> I mean, but here are some movies. High Ballin', which also starred Jerry Reed and Peter Fonda. Uh, you had Breaker Breaker, which starred Chuck Norris. All the action heroes had to get in. White Lane Fever, I think, was John, Jan Michael Vincent. Oh, wow. Um you had every which way but loose, which was uh, Clint Eastwood and, and a monkey and a well a, an a orangutan or an ape, and that spawned BJ and the Bear, which was a television show, basically where a trucker had a, a had pe- an a ape friend. Bear. That's right. What uh, happened to uh, yeah? You know the fad is going away when they start to have chimp sidekicks, right? Right. That's a bad sign. There was a movie called The Great Smoky Roadblock, which starred Henry Fonda. <laughs> Uh, not satisfied with his son uh, having the only trucker movie in the family. I like how Henry Fonda's not working much anymore, but he's like, well, mama, I always wanted to make a movie about truckers. Uh, But the CB culture like went crazy in the country. We were talking earlier about the president's wife, Betty Ford uh, was on citizens band radio. She had a, her handle was first mama. I was looking this up. I had this very vague memory of Betty Ford being on CB radio. And it turned out because it was when Ford was running for re-election against Carter in 76, she had arthritis and couldn't campaign with him much. So she wanted a, it was a, it was a disability measure. She wanted a way that she could campaign for her husband without leaving the White House. So she got a CB handle and started, uh, what's the verb for? Broadcasting? Broadcasting. CBing? There must be, there's not a cool, uh, well, it actually, squ- I think squawk it, boxing or whatever. I think it is CBing because I have a mug that I got in 76, it was given to me as a Christmas present or something. The mug is called the sea beer and it has all the little, like put the hammer down and keep the bugs off your bumper and whatnot, all these little sayings <laughs> on it. And it's called the sea beer. So I have to assume that they were CBN. CBN. So the president's wife is CBN with rubber duck and company. Well, I think probably another factor in Betty Ford, uh, using CB radios was that Jimmy Carter was from Atlanta or from Georgia from Plains, Georgia. And so he had a, a connection to rural American country, Western culture. And the Fords probably seemed pretty stuffy. From Michigan. They needed to appropriate yeah. Southern outlaw culture. Uh, and that's why she appeared on the Dukes of Hazzard eight times. <laughs> no, she did not appear on the Dukes of Well, that's when, uh, when Gerald Ford started playing the banjo uh, <laughs> on the campaign trail. We, we all remember that time. No, wait, that was Kermit the Frog. Well, and you, I always get them confused. You wonder, uh, I mean, how much Jimmy Carter's viability as a presidential candidate was perhaps like subtly influenced by the popularity of this culture nationwide. I mean, you can't really think of a U.S. president in the 20th century before Carter that was so rooted in the South. Yeah, not a lot of times when the South has been super cool. No, I mean, Woodrow Wilson certainly wasn't from the South. Uh, so Carter, it was the South will rise again era. We also had Leonard Skinner and all that Southern rock happening at the same time. So you're saying the 55-mile speed limit in, uh, elected Jimmy Carter? I mean, I think the ascendancy of the South in the late 70s and early 80s was all tied up in this. Um, the funny thing is it's, it's all Burt Reynolds' culture. fault. After he gave us the great movie about how you should never go to the South, Deliverance. <laughs> speaking, speak, That's right. He brought it back around. Speaking of banjo players, he must have felt very bad. A lot of Southerners yeah. were like, Bert, that does Bert. not, that doesn't reflect our values, Bert. Come on, Bert. Get it back on the right track. We wouldn't do that to Ned Beatty. He's a right nice feller. Uh, even Mel Blanc uh, was a very active CB user. Can you imagine driving a truck in... California like Bugs Bunny guy? and he would show up doing Porky Pig or Bugs Bunny, like in character, biddy, biddy, biddy. He's riding with hogs. Yeah. He's riding with a stuttering hog. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny how they all have kind of childlike names. They're all like Rubber Duck and Snowman. It all seems very cute. They're all named after Rainbow Brights or something. Well, it was a, f- a funner time. But there was another energy crisis in 1979 and another trucker strike. Is that because they lowered the speed limit to like 35? <laughs> no, it was still 55, but the energy crisis continued. And then this was an era of tremendous inflation. So up until this point, the Teamsters Union was the biggest in the country and a truck driver could make uh, a very comfortable living. A, a, a average truck driver in 1980 was making what would adjusted for inflation be about $110,000 a year. But in 1979, a, uh, a tragedy befell the trucking industry, which is uh, the deregulation of the trucking industry. This was an era in American politics where this is Reagan era yet? Or uh, not? not quite, but but Congress was trending that way. The idea being um, post-Nixon that regulation was strangling the American economy. Soul. And we needed to deregulate all of the industries that we'd formerly had all these oppressive controls over, and trucking was a big one. And in the aftermath of deregulation, uh, there were a lot more owner-operators. It became a thing where union membership wasn't necessary to be a a viable trucker. And initially that seemed like it was just right in keeping with trucker culture. Now an owner operator could be his own man, his own wild west character, but very quickly it was your typical deregulation race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, now truckers were in a price war with one another. It became simply a matter of how little you could charge rather than, um, and is that true to this day? Are, are, is trucking mostly still deregulated and deunionized? Uh, trucking is deregulated and deunionized. There are, I mean, there was a precipitous drop in Teamster membership. Um, a lot of trucking companies started to contract with truckers so that they didn't have to pay benefits. Yeah. They didn't have to pay standardized rates, uh, which means that every time the price of gas goes up, those increased expenses are borne entirely by truckers. There's still regulation on truck drivers. Uh, in fact, not very long ago, there were restrictions put on uh, how long a driver could drive in any 24-hour period, kind of like airline pilots. So now you have to keep a, a record of how long you drove and how long you slept, how long you took off. So truckers can't load up on speed and drive 18 hours anymore. So over the course of the subsequent years, truck driving has become an occupation where truckers struggle to make a living. Your average truck driver now makes $40,000 a year. And probably works very long. Works a lot harder and has to really scramble in order to put together a living. And during the 80s, after the deregulation happened, truckers lost a lot of their romantic appeal and started to be portrayed in the culture as serial killers and creeps it no longer felt like the, the, the they were the heroes of the great they American highway. Kings of the road. No, I have to say my one experience in a truck cab really made them seem like nobility mm-hmm. to me. I was with some friends and we ran out of gas outside uh, battle mountain, Nevada, just middle of nowhere, like almost, uh, like 30 miles from anywhere. Right. Nearest service station. And it was the middle of the night and we had no idea how we were going to hitchhike back. And almost immediately, a truck pulled over and said, you boys okay? What happened? You know, and this guy named Fuzzy, (laughs) Fuzzy welcomed us into his cab. Fuzzy was he, but he wasn't a bear. He was not a bear. He hated the bears. He turned up the Merle Haggard or whatever, you know, right down the plate thing he was listening to and uh, took us all the way back to town and regaled us with the stories about driving the West. And it was great. It was like a time machine. And I was like, Wow. Every time I feel bad about every time I've been annoyed by a big rig truck slowly passing another one on a Western interstate highway because oh, these guys are great. Don't feel bad about that. A lot of you know, a lot of trucks have speed governors on them, mm. and so a lot of times when you're out on the highway and you see a truck in the fast lane inching past <laughs> another truck, yeah. I think uh, it's the state flag of Idaho. It's because both trucks have speed governors, so they're both just going as fast as they can. And one of them is going a fraction of a mile an hour over the other one, but he wants to get by. I think that's when you just have to suck it up, you know, like you need to, you need to go 58.5 miles an hour. I'm sorry. Well, I, I hitchhiked a lot in the 1980s and truckers typically did not stop and pick up teenage boys 
uh, unless I mean unless at least in, the creepy ones. At least in my case. Uh, but a couple of times truckers did pick me up. One time in central Colorado, a trucker pulled over for me and opened the side door. I was there and I had my denim jacket and my denim pants and my denim uh, knapsack. And he opened the, the passenger door and he looked at me and he was like, oh, damn. And I said, what? And he said, well, get in. And I climbed up in the cab and we headed off down the road. And I was like, what? And he said, well... I thought you were my brother. <laughs> and, and he pointed, you know, this all happened in the first minute in the cab. He pointed over to the left and he was like, my brother's in that prison. And I saw you on the side of the road. I could have sworn you were him. You dressed all in denim. I thought maybe he'd hop the wall. And so I went past you. I got off at the next exit. I turned around, I came back going the other way, Wow! looked at you real careful as I went by and swore you were him, got off at that exit, turned around and came all the way back to get you. And then I realized you're not my brother, but I'll give you a ride wherever you're going. And we drove on into the night and, you know, and he had some speed and we just did the whole trucker thing together. Is and, that the only way I got a ride is I must've looked like Fuzzy's uh, convict brother Wuzzy well, or something? maybe you were out in the... It's truly out in the middle of Maybe nowhere. Maybe I looked much more helpless. Yeah. With, I looked with like my sad <laughs> gas can or something. I apparently looked like somebody who had just hopped the wall out of prison. That's that's who you want to give a ride to for sure. <laughs> if it's your brother. And that concludes Trucker Culture. Entry MT2514, certificate number 25007 in the omnibus. Futurelings, uh, we have moved from CB radio to much more vile and pernicious uh, social media platforms. It gets worse and worse. It gets worse. It's, CB radio is the best social media platform. Really? Remember? Remember all the good times we had? Oh, talking to the duck and the bear and the, the frog and the fuzz. Worried about all the smokies. Good yeah. times. It was a simpler time. Um, now we're just always talking about the, the tea and the... Oh, the uh, tea. The whatever. The slap. The, the thank you next. <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram, where you can find us at Omnibus Project or at John Roderick or at Ken Jennings. Uh, you can also find our Facebook enthusiasts. This is much more like a CB chat. Because CB could be communal, right? You could have multiple people cutting in and out and talking at once. Oh, sure. You're, you're chit-chatting. I mean, that's why you say breaker, breaker, because... The, the assumption is that other people are talking and you want to get in there. Breaker means like coming in, that's coming how, in hot. That's how we should do the show now. Like you're just talking. You're just saying something. Like here, just say something. Hey, well, anyway. So breaker, breaker. Ta- let's oh, talk about Betty Ford more. Boy. I don't know if I like that. We never talked about trucker hats. <laughs> uh, trucker hats didn't really appear on the scene again until 2005. That, that was right? like Ashton Kutcher's fault. Yeah. He thought he could bring that back. Maybe he wanted to get a Southerner elected president again. I don't, I don't know what Who his plan was. Who knows what his plan was? Milf, uh, milf chaser. <laughs> Maybe uh, Demi just really liked the look of a guy in a trucker hat. So if you want that kind of communal uh, attitude, just go to the Futurelings Facebook group and post something right now. Um, begin with Breaker Breaker so they know to stop what they're doing. Breaker Breaker 1-9, this here's a rubber duck. Get your hand, got your ears on. That's what it is. Get your ears on. If they don't have their ears on, they can't even hear you. So you don't have right. to, you don't have to tell Why them. Why are you asking that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, you can, if you want to send us a trucker hat or a little uh, US one Tyco uh, slot truck, you can send us any and all. I'd like that. Yeah, you can send us any and all long haul related, big rig related memorabilia at mm-hmm. our physical address, mm-hmm. which is Omnibus Project PO Box five five seven four four. Shoretown, Shiki Town, Washington. No, Shoreline, Washington, which does not have a CV nickname. Boreline. More like Boreline. <laughs> 98155. If you want to send us something of a more virtual, ephemeral nature, uh, ones and zeros, you can send those to omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Futurelings from our vantage point out on that long, loathsome highway where Ken and I are the last two outlaws in America... We have no idea how long our civilization survived before it, may, it, it turns into more of a Mad Max kind of truck. Yeah, world. it may it may have uh, it may have collapsed when Ken and I went on strike. 
Uh, and the podcaster strike is going to bring America to its the knees. The podcaster strike, and everybody's just wandering around, like, forced to listen to music again. Podcasting killed CB, in my opinion. Like, you don't want to listen to anything else in your car when you've got, uh, you know, Roman Mars talking to you or something. That's right. Although, uh, in CB culture, if you were a pedant, you could always go, breaker, breaker. Uh, that's actually not how World War One ended. Uh, Ira Glass. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There is always that moment in the podcast where the people are like, oh, and what's the name of the, you know, it's the yeah. U2 record after breaker, uh, October breaker. Baby. Uh, and you know, and you're like, come on, you idiots. Yeah. And then. People would Breaker Breaker all the time. Breaker Breaker. It's called Zuropa. Or in our case, it's like, Breaker Breaker, you forgot to mention the one <laughs> character <laughs> that appeared in that obscure <laughs> film. Yeah. Breaker Breaker, you did not follow every tangent about that topic. Breaker Breaker, my grandfather actually was there that day. Those are the ones you want. Yeah, those are I the do. Good ones. I love those ones. Uh, anyway, we hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come and that podcasting remains America's premier media. We want to be in your 20 forever. Uh, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows in the form of a Oort cloud of Cthulhu's, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>